Hello, my name is Bob Tarzi, a freelance IT industry, IT industry analyst, and I will be moderating uh, this podcast looking at the risks that arise from user desktops and how, in some cases, these can be minimized using security-focused operating systems and cloud-based desktop services. PCs are something of a wild frontier in IT secure, for IT security teams when it comes to securing IT infrastructure. Whether they are running Windows, Mac OS or Linux, users change PCs to suit their needs, adding applications and storing local data, as well as accessing unsafe websites and receiving emails with questionable attachments. All this means that the security status of any given PC will be unique and unpredictable. A device may be compromised or compromisable at any level from the registry through the operating system to the web browser and other applications. Of course, there are certain precautions that can and should be taken to reduce these risks. These include limiting access to admin rights, running antivirus, filtering incoming content, and the black and or whitelisting of applications. However, what if a PC's registry, operating system, and browser could all be guaranteed to be in a known, safe, and secure state every time the PC was booted? Being able to do this makes sense, as PCs are increasingly used as cloud gateways to support flexible and mobile working. All that matters when a user starts up a virtual cloud-based desktop is that supporting infrastructure on the access device is safe. Such a capability also suits other high-risk use cases where PCs are regularly shared between ad hoc users or where third-party access is required for managing remote infrastructure. To guide us through the benefits of and use cases for security-focused operating systems, I am pleased to be joined by Bernard Parsons, CEO of UK-based security company, Bcrypt. Hello, Bernard. Hi, Bob. Great to be here. Great. Um, so, Bernard, why are PCs such a potential weak point in IT infrastructure? And as more and more computing moves to the cloud, including user desktops, why do physical PCs still persist in IT infrastructure? Um, I guess there's a, 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 a number of uh, ways to, to answer that, a number of components to the answer. I mean, one, one factor, of course, is just the um, magnitude of software and the complexity of software that um, sits on uh, a typical um, endpoint, such as a desktop. So, you know, if you, if you think about a full-blown general purpose operating system and you think about all of the applications and you've mentioned browsers that get... Um, uh, that get loaded and, and uh, executed on these devices, there's going to be vulnerabilities. We all know that. And, and um, you know, the industry has got better at publicizing and, and automating the public, publication of those vulnerabilities. And, but but th that, that uh, degree of complexity uh, leads to the inevitability of vulnerabilities. Um, and organizations, um, as reports continuously show, um, struggle to... Um, ensure that they've got patch regimes in place that can um, patch the, the entirety of the devices under their, under their management in a timely way. So, so that leaves a window of opportunity, unfortunately, for, um, for bad actors to exploit. 
I think the other the other point I'll make is that obviously the the PC is typically the point at which um, the user interfaces with with the um, with the with an organization's IT infrastructure. That's probably stating quite an obvious point, but users are. Um, uh, are a weak point, and and that's not going to change. You know, no matter how much we uh, train our employees to understand the the dangers and characteristics of phishing, uh, you know, that 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 as a risk is is not going to go away. And um, an email uh, it continues to exist as one of the main attack vectors for organisations. So so you have a mixture of factors there. Um, endpoints as a result of that are are all you know are continuing to rank highly um, in okay. terms of. Okay. Uh, uh, I, mean, I mean, sure you made a good point there. Well, the point quite clearly, Bernard, that it's the vulnerability of software on these PCs that is a real worry. But well, why did the PCs persist in the first place? You know, if we're going to move to cloud computing, why not just uh, I've heard the term thin clients. Why not just move everybody over to those? Well. Why are the PCs still out there, and, and, and why um, does this underlying problem therefore persist because of their presence in the IT infrastructure? Um, so I think for for many user communities within organisations, you're going to need more functionality than a than a thin client can give you. So that might mean extensive use of um, offline applications natively. On the device rather than accessing um, them in an online uh, setup. Um, however, that said, there, because of the increased adoption of the cloud, there is an increasing number of communities within organizations that, that don't need a full-blown PC um, and therefore all, all of the costs and risks associated with managing with managing one. So there is an opportunity where organizations are moving increasingly to cloud and online services there is an opportunity to optimize the end-user devices um, that are accessing those services um, from a security and a cost uh, perspective by, by not deploying full-blown operating systems. One other point I'll, I'll make very quickly, you mentioned thin clients. Traditional thin clients are also vulnerable to, uh, to exploits. So at the end of the day, it, even on a zero client, you have software running there. So you have something that can be exploited. And the, the downside um, of traditional thin clients is actually you've got less security tools typically um, in your organization to, to monitor and detect the, the fact that they may have been compromised. Okay, so it's a combination of the required need for flexible working, but also legacy um, devices. That means the PC is not going to disappear anytime soon so that so this is going to be a persistent problem um you've developed a security focused operating system called paradox and you highlight several use cases uh where such an operating system can improve security uh, one is where pcs are regularly shared to support flexible working uh, could you tell us a little about paradox and how it supports safe sharing Okay, so the origins of um, the, the product, we, we actually did some work with um, the National Cybersecurity Center. They were looking at um, setting up an environment that allowed organizations to share IT uh, infrastructure. So someone from uh, government department A being able to access their um, back-end uh, services by uh, turning up in the offices of government department B. To do that, they needed um, secure endpoints so that all of these departments were operating off the same standard in terms of the security posture of the endpoint, but they also needed um, the ability to uh, identify devices across organizations. 
So uh, we, we got engaged to do two things, to uh, build this security-focused operating system that gave that, uh, met that requirement of having a very secure endpoint, uh, but we've also implemented a remote attestation protocol so that those devices can prove um, not only their identity, but their integrity to the servers that they're accessing. And that can be done in a federated uh, model. So you can have this uh, device identity uh, using remote attestation in a federated model across multiple organizations, uh, mul uh, departments in the, in the case of government, but outside of government that can apply to contractors, third party organizations and supply chain. Um, okay. So a lot of, sorry, yeah. Uh, no, I, 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 I just wanted to pick up on a couple of things, points you made there. First of all, the National Cyber Security Centre, that's a UK body, but I, I would imagine respected uh, globally. Um, uh, so, you know, that's uh, the, the sort of level of organisation that you're happen to satisfy with, um, with this product initially, which you're now taking out to, um, you know, a, a wider commercial audience. Is, is that right? Absolutely. So we are doing work internationally already. We, we have international customers in sectors like the aviation sector and um, the NCSC very much works as part of an international community. So a lot of the programs we've been engaged with uh, do have international partners, the US uh, being, being one of those. And, and there's a lot of overlap in the standards. So we very much have adopted NIST standards, for example, where they apply. Okay, and you use the term uh, remote attestation. Is that is that basically recognizing a, a, the, the hardware itself, or is it a more of a, a software-based thing? Everything that executes on the hardware. So it is a software-based thing, but it includes the firmware as well. So um, so what 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 it does is it take it, it works off a, um, a health measurement. Uh, of the of all of the software that is running on an end user device, so that includes the firmware, the boot system, uh, the boot components, um, the uh, operating system, third party drivers, as well as uh, applications um, that get launched. So uh, the, the the health measurement um, ensures that all of that is in a known good state when a device starts, and um, and there's a hardware root of trust that underpins which is the trusted platform module um, okay. and uh, yeah and you use the term feder was it federated um what was the federated term you used federated identity so right. what you yeah you can we use the saml protocol uh which uh -huh. is you know, typically used in industry for user authentication scenarios but in, in in our case we're using the saml protocol to allow um separate device identity management servers to communicate to each other to say yes that that third party device that's now accessing my infrastructure, I know that's in the known good state. Okay. Um, so with Paradox, you're able to understand exactly the security status of any device and um, be able to understand exactly who's using it and, and what sort of rights it has. So you, you were going to tell us about some of the um, use cases uh, that that is particularly um, helpful for. Yeah, so within um, the, the within government, a lot of the work we're doing is around a very secure desktop scenario. So I mentioned earlier on that there, there are issues around standard thin clients. Um, what, what government needed for some of the classified environments was having a high degree of confidence in the health of the effectively desktops that are being used to access kind of private cloud services. So that, that, that's one use case. 
that that maps very much into the private sector, but not not within you know we're, we're not replacing all desktops when it comes to um, you know large enterprise organizations. But what we are doing is we're finding that they there are typically enclaves within those organizations uh, where there is either high threat or, or high value. Um, that, that, that justifies uh, deploying something like Paradox. And a, an example of that is a deployment we've done recently into a security operations center. So, um, so, that, so that the devices that are actually running the SOC themselves need to obviously be in a very secure and healthy state. Um, we've got a deployment with, uh, within government um, within a more public-facing scenario. So that's uh, kiosks within uh, job centers, so citizens that are accessing the, the services that, uh, that the one accesses in, in job centers. Um, Paradox provides a, a very simple way for DWP to push out uh, a very secure but easy to manage software environment across a very geographically diverse um, kiosk landscape. Uh, remote access is a, is a key scenario, so how can I gain high degree of confidence that either my employees or third parties, suppliers are accessing services from a known good state. And, and interestingly, some more niche use cases, uh, an example is travel kit. So how, what kind of lightweight device can I use for my executives when they travel? There are all sorts of issues organizations are facing traveling with traditional laptops. There's encryption regulations. There's how do I know whether this has been tampered with? And Paradox provides a very easy uh, solution to, to, to supporting secure uh, traveling computing requirements. So that's, that's um, really uh, four use cases you picked up there. There's the, uh, uh, the kiosk you talked about. That's when any old Joe like me could be walking in off the street to use a, a device and you use a, the example of the job centers, but it could be a station or a, you know, a travel agency or something like that just to um, look something up. Uh, there was the example of the secure operations center or any remote management thing where I might be managing somebody else's infrastructure uh, and therefore um, you know, the, the, the device I'm using has to be something that they have a high level of confidence in before they would allow me onto their infrastructure. And then those two remote user use cases, the more, the more general one where remote, remote users anywhere may be working from home, accessing infrastructure. And then particularly when you send these executives overseas, maybe to, um, I don't know, Russia, uh, so, sorry, Moscow or Beijing, or even you know New York or something, and you want to be absolutely sure that they're uh, are coming in over a safe link uh, from their device. So that's some of the Okay, yeah, so that, that, what's on? Um, what devices can actually run Paradox then, uh, Bernard? Um, so Paradox is uh, targeting the basically the x86 platform. You know, so um, de desktops, um, small computing devices like Intel NUCs is uh, is one um, platform that we've used. Traditional thin clients, uh, kiosks. You, you've mentioned the station uh, transport scenario. So um, projects within uh, stations where they they can actually run. Uh, they are running Paradox within uh, kind of ticketing machines, um, right through to uh, you know the, the mini uh, PC in your hand that you you can plug into a, an HDMI support. Um, we do have other products that behave in a very similar way that target the ARM platform. Um, that's a separate product called Convex, uh, but but Paradox is very much around that x86 uh, uh, family. 
Um, you, you mentioned our arm there. That's would include mobile devices. Yes. Yeah. So we do do a lot of work um, on mobile devices with, with with our other products. We also have a mobile device management uh, platform. Um, that's a very uh, mature uh, product category, as you'll know. Uh, but we have done some interesting work recently with NCSC tackling some of the challenges that they're particularly concerned about with a lot of commercial MDM platforms. Uh, they don't fit very well into the traditional kind of walled garden um, network infrastructure. So we've done uh, some work that ensures that ours can do that. Um, and as a result, has again been deployed uh, significantly uh, across uh, government and, and critical national infrastructure. But they're, they're different parts of our, our product family, uh, MDM and, and Convex. Um, and we, we talked about um, executives traveling overseas earlier. A lot of executives um, like to use um, Apple products uh, running MacOS. Is that something you can support? Um, so we it, kind of in two ways. So of course, with our MDM platform, we can we can manage Mac uh, devices. We 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 one of the ways that uh, Paradox uh, does get used is actually off a bootable USB device. So we do have some scenarios where organizations uh, provide Paradox on a stick to third party contractors, for example, and those contractors then use their own machines. So um, we can boot um, various Macs uh, uh, to, to launch Paradox. Um, but, but you know, the scenario there is actually it's an untrusted machine um, rebooting into Paradox. We're not actually changing Mac uh, itself in any way. So they kind of they run that device in one of two modes, either the native Mac mode or, or the Paradox mode. Okay, um, we talked about the example of using um, a Paradox to support the IT kiosk concept. That's uh, you know a PC that anybody can walk into a, an environment and use. And you talked about um, your deployment at the Department of Work and Pensions, the UK um, government body. What sort of scale is that, Ben, and how scalable is the use of Paradox? Um, yeah, so we have deployments in, in, in many thousands. It, it's, it's very scalable. Um, we, it, it, it uses the same enterprise platform that, um, that, that we've uh, developed as a, a technology, as a company for a range of security products for many years. So it, it has um, stood up very well in large-scale enterprise environments for, for a long period of time. One of the one of the key um, benefits that I, sh I should I should probably highlight um, from a management uh, perspective is is we we solve one of the big uh, challenges that organisations have today, which is around patch management. You know, the average day to patch is is still far too long, um, as most reports will show, because. Patching can be quite complex for organizations, not just about the OS, it's about all of the applications they're running and, and the compatibility between uh, the, the different um, uh, applications and operating system. With Paradox, we simplify and automate patching. So we create patch sets uh, for the Paradox OS, but also for any third-party applications that um, are being used by our customers within that, that OS. Um, that then gets um, imported into our management platform, a single image is created, which is what gets deployed down to the client devices. That is pulled down transparently to the user. So a user of Paradox is not aware that the device is transparently pulling down a completely new OS image with applications embedded. The next time the device starts, 
it um, is uh, updated. It's running the updated OS image. So trans trans uh, patching completely automated um, solves one of the big uh, big challenges, as I say. So interestingly, some of the drivers between the, uh, behind the projects we're engaged with are now more about the cost and ease of deployment um, of these end-user devices rather than the security. Security is a big tick in the box for everyone, but as I say, for some, it's that simple management which is which is really driving the adoption. Okay, that's that. I mean, that's that's really uh, really interesting because that window of opportunity for attackers that it exists from the minute a vulnerability is made public to the time uh, that uh, an organization applies the patch that fixes the vulnerability on its device. So as Microsoft, uh, a vulnerability will become public, Microsoft will be made aware of it, Microsoft issues a, a fix, a patch to that as soon as, they, as, soon as it can, and uh, then it's um, down to the patching regimes existing in an organization to close that window of vulnerability by applying the patch. So typically, a Paradox user, how much more quickly than uh, the average organization would they be um, closing that window of vulnerability for the attacker? It, it will depend on the severity of the issue. So we have had uh, issues within third-party applications, uh, vulnerabilities within third-party applications that have be been publicized, that have been used by our customer base. And we've had to respond to that sometimes very quickly. Sometimes you know, it's in the order of a, a, a week um, that, we will, that we will turn around um, a fix for that customer. Um, more typical cadence would be um, around 30 or 90 days, again, depending upon the, um, the category of issue. One thing I should point out, because Paradox is such a locked down operating system, with a defense in depth architecture, many of the vulnerabilities that get published are not uh, able to uh, execute the relevant exploits in the Paradox operating system. Part, part of the reasons by, behind that are we implement a, um, both a user model and an application model that prevents applications gaining administrative privileges or the interactive user from gaining um, elevated privileges. And that's baked into the operating system using some of the underlying, I, I should say, Linux uh, mechanisms. So the Paradox is, is a cut down version of Linux. So that mitigates a lot of the, uh, a lot of the issues anyway. But we are able to turn around this very fast uh, patch, um, uh, patch cycle. Okay, great. You know, because I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, attackers nearly always need to seek escalated privilege before they can really do much. So if that's not something they can do on um, one of your operating systems running, sorry, one of your devices running Paradox and now move on somewhere else. So uh, that's an important point. Um, Bcrypt also offers an associated end user device as a service platform called Paradox Edge. What, what use cases is that aimed at, Bernard? Um, so, the, the, actually, the typical example is an organisation called East West Rail. Uh, they're a quasi-government um, body uh, here in London, and um, they were a startup effectively, and they uh, needed to deploy end-user devices for a growing, um, a growing team, and they wanted to do that whilst minimising the, uh, the in-house IT uh, resource. And one 
way they could achieve that is, is effectively by consuming their end user devices as a service, which is what Paradox Edge um, effectively does. So we are able to uh, deploy and provision Paradox onto, onto their laptops, but we host the management uh, technology. Um, so all of that patching that we just talked about, we look after under that Paradox Edge service. And that allows uh, EWR just to focus on their core business. So they are a cloud-first business, so they're using Office 365 and Salesforce and uh, uh, other um, uh, cloud-based uh, applications and, uh, and services, and that's where their focus is, um, and we, we, we look after um, the, the physical uh, endpoints and the software that runs on them. So, so in effect, that allows B Crypt to act as a, a, an endpoint management service provider? Absolutely. And another very quick uh, use case, we mentioned travel kits earlier on. Um, travel kit, travel um, use case for many organizations is kind of one of those niche use cases. So um, it suits some organizations to consume that as a service. Why, why uh, invest your own time uh, and energy and money um, in, in building out a, a new set of devices uh, specifically for you know, your senior execs that are traveling? If that can be consumed as a service, all, you, all you're going to do is expose your corporate services appropriately to authenticated devices, then um, again, that, that fits very well into the Paradox Edge model. Okay, um, thanks for that, Ben. And finally, we talked earlier about the, um, the importance of user identity. Uh, that's a necessary part of securing any computing environment, uh, especially when trust needs to be established across multiple devices and, and over remote links. So, and you, just, uh, and you talked about the use of SAML earlier, um, but can you just explain how that links into uh, common environments that um, organizations use, such as Active Directory, and, 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 and what adaptions they have to make to um, make their existing identity services work within a paradox environment? Um, yeah, so one, one thing I, I sh should have pointed out is paradox is quite uh, configurable. Um, so we, we support different forms of authentication, in, including two-factor authentication. Um, so we tend to ensure that uh, we work with our customers um, or enable our customers themselves to configure Paradox to meet, meet their existing um, authentication requirements. So um, whether they've got a, an AD environment, um, whether, whether they're exposing uh, other standard forms of authentication or using two-factor authentication like USB uh, tokens or smart cards. Um, at the end of the day, we're, we're very standards focused um, and we ensure that, that we can adapt. We haven't imposed changes on, on any of the organizations we've worked with. Okay, great. Well, look, uh, thanks to Bernard Parsons of Recrypt for providing these insights into secure desktops. And thank you to uh, you, the listener, for listening to this podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Bob.